Welcome to our new initiative called Cellcast, a monthly podcast where we get one of our colleagues from the center in the studio and talk about his or her work and hobbies. Also, we touch upon questions of more philosophical character. The idea with the podcast is to have the chance to get to know your colleagues from CFB. Each interviewee will pass the baton on to another interviewee and ask him or her a question. Your host today is communications officer Anne Vermelyke. I've tried to decorate our little studio, which is actually just a meeting room at CFB, with Christmas decorations to make it a bit cozier and get into the spirit of the holidays. My guest today is postdoc Matthew Malcolm Jessup Fabre. Did I pronounce that correctly, That's Matthew? Pretty good. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was something about that. It was French, or uh, yeah, the Fabre part is French, but okay. it's uh, yeah, easier to pronounce it in the anglicization yeah um but uh, welcome to you how are you feeling today yeah pretty good yeah, yeah. good that's a great start yes <laughs> <laughs> looking forward to christmas um matthew uh we've had the chance to talk a bit uh previously and i can promise the listeners that today is going to be interesting we're both going to talk about your passion for composing composing electronic music or should I say a brand new genre of music <laughs> <laughs> um, we're also going to talk about your passion for rubbish English sausages and also you'll learn which person is inspires Matthew the most but in order to get started can you tell me where you're from Matthew sure that's mm-hmm. an easy question to start mm-hmm. uh, I was uh, raised in the southwest of England in a area called Somerset, which is well known for basically providing nothing of interest to the world, apart from perhaps cider. Um, But my family is Scottish and French, so my parents now live in uh, Scotland to be closer to family, which means that I haven't been to my home as such in uh, five or so years. You said you have a Danish girlfriend now and and have lived in Denmark for the past four years or so. How is it different living in Denmark compared to the UK? Well, I guess the biggest thing is the language. (laughs) (laughs) That's, uh, you know, it's pretty weird um, not being able to speak the language properly. But hopefully that will come soon. Um, But apart from that, I mean, I feel like it's fairly similar. I think... um, Culturally, it's not too dissimilar. I think other people have a much harder time culturally when they come over and, you know, they find Danes a little bit standoffish and, uh, you know, but for me, I really like that. I quite like being left alone. Okay, but what about the language? Can you say something in Danish or...? I could. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm getting to the point now where I can understand quite a lot. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, because we have dinners with my girlfriend's family or whatever and then it's all in Danish mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm getting to the point where I can understand quite a lot but yeah my pronunciation is still a lot to be desired <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you miss most about uh, England or Scotland or well I guess as you have alluded to I mm-hmm. have quite a penchant for English sausages these uh, pork sausages that are absolutely terrible and you cannot find anywhere else in the world um, and then whenever my parents come over they usually bring me some or if I go back home then I'll pick up some because uh, yeah there's nothing like them. <laughs> but why are they so good? I really don't know I think it's kind of that comfort food thing mm. you know um, 
like you get them in chip shops for example um, but you also get them in the school lunch cafeterias and things like that so it's just yeah a nice familiarity that you get mm. okay uh, and at what ad- uh, events do you enjoy a rubbish english sausage at home uh pretty much everything that's mm. they're, they're so diverse you know you have lunch and then you can just make some baked beans and sausages and then put the sausages in the baked beans or you can have baked or that have the uh, sausages on toast or you know by themselves or in a full english breakfast i mean you know they go well with everything yeah. every occasion perfect <laughs> i think i need to try some of them <laughs> yeah 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 you're missing out definitely yeah. <laughs> Um, you also mentioned that you miss a special type of fermented spread. Uh, is that correct? <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Marmite is uh, is pretty good, but luckily I've managed to find it here, hmm? so I don't have to go without it. Although, yes, my girlfriend would wish that I hadn't found it here <laughs> because as soon as you open up the pot, it's uh, it's rather pungent. Yes, Marmite. Yeah. yeah. Could you explain to people what Marmite tastes like? That is a little bit difficult. <laughs> it's got quite a, I mean, a very strong kind of acidic taste, I guess. But you just spread it very thinly on on toast, and then you know it's not too overwhelming. But um, yeah, it's it's quite a unique taste. I guess the closest that I could think of is something like anchovies or something, you know. But yeah, <laughs> sounds special. But yes. I mean. Uh, <laughs> I actually tasted it uh, once as a child because my friend's dad is from <laughs> England and they eat a lot of marmite and I thought it was absolutely disgusting. I'm yeah, sorry to say. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess that's the same way you must feel with some Danish food. We have some pretty weird stuff too. That is true, but uh, so far I think I've been... Oh, no, wait. <laughs> of course, the licorice stuff. That's I'm, I'm getting a bit better with the licorice, but, you know, sometimes when you try and eat Uh, food that you think is normal and then they've spiced it with licorice and then it becomes inedible yeah that that takes a bit of getting used to and i'm not too happy about the licorice situation here <laughs> the licorice uh, situation i like yeah. that <laughs> <laughs> um also i'd also like to uh, congratulate on the phd matthew uh, because you. you recently defended your thesis how was that like yeah it was actually pretty good i mean i think for everyone it's a really stressful Um, event that comes up because you don't know how it's going to go they can really go in many different directions um but mine you know went really well we had a really nice discussion about it afterwards with a question session it lasted the full two hours which was pretty unheard of <laughs> so it was pretty tiring but um yeah i felt like it went really well and i was really happy and relieved you know at the end so it was nice to be able to celebrate on a high note mm-hmm. um Doing a PhD thesis is quite uh, stressful, some people say, or most people say, actually. Uh, what is so stressful about it? Um, Yeah, I think it depends on the different people. But I, <laughs> I had this conversation recently with someone, and I couldn't really pin down what exactly about a PhD is uh, stressful compared to, say, just a regular job. Yeah, it's very difficult to say. I think quite a lot of the time you're you're pretty much on your own. You're working on your own project. And then you've got the stress of having to try and publish papers and stuff, and so it kind of accumulates in a bit of a weird way, and you're having to learn so much new at the same time, but, you know, it's by yourself, and you've got deadlines, and uh, it can be a little bit overwhelming, I think. It definitely was for me. Um, but yeah, I'm still not sure exactly why it's more stressful than a normal job, and perhaps it isn't. <laughs> perhaps it's just, you know, what it's going to be like for the rest of our lives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um 
Hopefully not. That's Hopefully not. I hope yeah. so. But now you're working as a postdoc. Um, could you tell our listeners, uh, our colleagues, what you're working with as a postdoc? I shall try and give a, mm -hmm. a simple definition, which is basically we have got a grant to try and see if we can um, do real biology experiments, but without the need for our own labs. So there are a couple of companies in America, um, the Emerald Cloud Lab and Transcriptic, and they offer these um, largely automated facilities and you can submit um, jobs programmatically to them and then they will actually um, physically conduct your biological experiments. So hopefully in the future, a lot of our workflows will actually be done remotely and um, hopefully that will increase the reproducibility within the field um, and also yeah, uh, reduce your costs in the lab and also free up a lot of time for researchers to actually be able to think about the big picture. That sounds nice. So would that um, mean that wet lab uh, biologists become excess in the future if you succeed <laughs> in this? <laughs> well, in a sense, um, I think there's always going to be a need for wet lab biologists, but a lot of what you spend your time doing, you know, day in, day out, is the same stuff and it's very repetitive. Um, so there's no need for somebody who's highly trained to do that kind of work. Um, so that's the sort of thing that we're, you know, envisaging will not need to be done anymore. I mean, you can, for example, think about the uh, primers, you know, uh, back in the day, everyone used to make their own primers, and now you just order them, and they come the next day. Um, so we hope that a lot of the typical workflows that people do now, just likewise, you know, you'll just order it, and then you'll get the results. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How did you get interested in this field of work in systems biology? Um, well, I've always been interested in the computational side of biology. Um, and then for the PhD, I wanted to focus a bit more in the wet lab. And then now I'm you know, trying to do a bit of a fusion of the two um, because they're both really interesting sides and they're both going to be uh, very important to kind of meld together in a hopefully seamless fashion. So, yeah, that's uh, my main interest in it. Okay. What would you say that you're an expert in uh, if you should um, pin something out to your colleagues? And and what would you say that you m could maybe help your colleagues with? Uh, yeah, that's uh, slightly difficult because I've had quite a mixed training. So compared to most other people, I think uh, I've had um, yeah quite a broad training. So I wouldn't say that I'm particularly an expert in a specific thing, but I can definitely help out people who are not experts in some of the things that I know. So for example, I could probably help out most wet lab biologists if they wanted to do some modeling or you know, things to do with programming or, in, or data analysis, things like that. Um, but then I could help more computational people be in the lab and, you know, tell them how uh, things are actually done um, because a lot of the computational biologists haven't actually been in the lab so don't necessarily know how the real experimental workflows happen. So, uh, yeah, I think I can give some advice to different people, but more of a jack-of-all-trades rather than a master of any. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. So moving on to your hobbies, uh, what do you do in your spare time? Well, uh, I guess as you've already mentioned, I kind of like um, yeah, composing music in my spare time. It's quite nice to have something just to chill out and, you know, do and take your mind off of work. And uh, you mentioned that it was some kind of electronic music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Could you elaborate a bit on that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not, you know, claiming that it's anything exciting or listenable but um, yeah, I'm not really sure how what sort of category it falls into because 
it's kind of electronic music, but I, I like to record live instruments and and use them. So it's a little bit different than you know the typical stuff that you hear in clubs. <laughs> <laughs> but you you play some instruments or? Uh, I try to, <laughs> with varying degrees of success. Over the years, I've accumulated a few different uh, pieces that are now cluttering up the apartment and my girlfriend says, please don't buy any more. <laughs> <laughs> what what instruments are you playing? Then? Um, so the main one that I play is the guitar, um, but then most of the composing is done on a keyboard. Um, but I also have other instruments, like I've got a mandolin, a, uh, a harmonica, some mouth harps, violin, I think, somewhere, <laughs> and a uh, hammer dulcimer. I think that's pretty much it yeah and what was the last one the hammer dulcimer yeah it's kind of it's a predecessor to a uh, modern piano so it's kind of this box with uh, loads of strings over it and then you know in a, a piano every time you hit the key a little hammer strikes the um the strings and so essentially you are holding the hammers and you're striking the strings okay. yourself so it's yeah, a very early uh, form of the piano yeah Sounds very interesting with all these uh, <laughs> <laughs> instruments. I'm sure that uh, the music gets... Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's difficult to use some of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but why is composing music so important to you? I think uh, mainly, I mean, I've always loved, uh, you know, making music and playing music. But I really didn't do very much until doing the PhD. And then you kind of need something to take your mind off of it. And some people do that, you know, with hanging out with friends or things like that. But for me, I really like to be able to get into my own kind of headspace and, you know, really get away from it. And uh, m doing music is, yeah, is a really nice way for me to do that. I can just focus on that and then, you know, all the world's problems just shrink away. It's very nice. Mm. <laughs> so if some curious souls were to search for your music on Spotify or whatever, would they be able to find it? I think it would be very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> That's my hope, at least. Yeah. <laughs> How come? Uh, I yeah, I'm a little bit, um, I guess, timid about this stuff. I I would prefer for people that I know to not necessarily be able to find these things. But I've accidentally lit slip um, to a couple of people that I work with um, about it. Uh, it's a decision I've been regretting ever since. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, which historical person would you like to meet, and why? Yeah, I've uh, been thinking quite a lot about this, and there are two people that uh, finally came to mind. There's a, a author that I really like called Kurt Vonnegut, and his way of storytelling is just so um, bizarre and interesting and complex, and it melds science and you know more um, traditional uh, aspects of storytelling. And yeah, I just think that being able to talk to him would be You know, it would be pretty cool getting a getting a beer with him would be quite amazing. And then on the completely other end um, is this British explorer who's still alive uh, called Randall Fiennes. And I mean, he's probably the craziest person that I've ever um, ever seen. I mean, the stories that he has, you know, about his uh, expeditions. And I mean, he went to I think it was the North Pole. He was the first person to go there completely unaided. So he went, you know, wow. without any backup. <laughs> I mean, this guy That's is amazing. just, yeah. yeah. And he, he, for example, chopped off his own fingers um, with a like with a hacksaw. 
because uh you know they were painful i mean he's just yeah a really weird and crazy guy so i think you know just listening to him for a few hours would be unbelievably entertaining yeah i'm sure um, there will be uh, to be some questions uh, you could <laughs> ask him definitely <laughs> as yeah. well which personality feature do you value the most in others then i think at least professionally um when people actually kind of listen to you and take on board what you're saying to them um it sounds very obvious but it doesn't necessarily happen all the time so when it does happen you know i really appreciate that when somebody actually pays you the time um to yeah to really think about what you're saying even if they don't you know particularly believe in it at least you feel like they're considering your point of view i think that's a really important character trait yeah um what is the best piece of advice you've had from your parents <laughs> so yeah this may not be very motivational but <laughs> um my parents essentially have always said don't follow your dreams just you know <laughs> get a job and uh <laughs> And I think that's a way to put it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it sounds like they were horrible parents, but it was obviously not put in such a harsh way. Um, but I think it's a really useful piece of advice for a lot of teenagers. You know, they have their heads kind of away in the clouds. So I think it's quite a, you know, I mean, if they hadn't have said that, then I don't think I would have uh, ended up being able to go to university. So I think it's you know quite lucky. I otherwise could have had a bit of a tough time trying to find jobs and being you know uh, uneducated essentially. Um, so yeah, I'm really thankful for that. So But is isn't it also possible to follow your dreams and get a job, or is those country? Well, it, I mean it is, but you know you need to really put in a lot of hard graft, um, and you've got to be quite lucky as well. And then even I mean most people are doing the sorts of things that. Um, you know, are sort of the dream for a lot of teenagers. I mean, you're not really making very much money. You don't have very much stability. Um, so, I mean, it's not particularly a good life. And then you, the point is as well that even though, for example, science isn't exactly sexy, once you start doing it, you know, you get really into it and you love it as much as you would love doing your dream profession that you thought you would like to do when you're a teenager, right? So, yeah, it's worthwhile and uh, hopefully <laughs> a little bit more secure. Yeah. Uh, can you mention mention one thing that people may not know about you? Um, I guess something is that I used to have a pygmy hedgehog, so a little uh, white albino, tiny little uh, pet hedgehog that I used to have in Edinburgh. It was very cute, but unbelievably loud because you know it's nocturnal, <laughs> so <laughs> it would just run around its wheel all night. Oh, so, so it was a slightly love-hate relationship but <laughs> uh yeah i miss him now uh, why did you get a pygmy hedgehog um <laughs> that's a good question <laughs> i i guess i've always wanted to pet i mean i had a hedgehog uh sorry not a hedgehog a hamster when i was a kid um and i've always you know got fond memories of that so i thought yeah why not get a hedgehog yeah yeah uh, Sounds nice, yeah. even though you didn't get much sleep. <laughs> yeah, that was the trade-off, but you know, it was still worth it. Yeah. Do you have a reoccurring dream? Yeah, I'm not sure if dream is the correct term for it, maybe more like a reoccurring nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I have this dream where I uh, am driving down a road, and it's like yeah, pitch black in the middle of the night, and I can't really see where I'm going. And then I usually crash because I can't see where I'm going, and then wake up. So it's yeah, not the nicest dream. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. And do you still have this dream? Um, not too much. Um, so I I used to have it quite a lot, and then I changed out the headlights 
in my car. Uh, and then that stopped the dream from happening. Oh. And then it's just uh, started a little bit recently because I only bought a car um, not that long ago. And yeah, I'm not a big fan of night driving. <laughs> but maybe I just need to get new head bulbs and then it'll be okay. Okay, so the dream actually meant It's something. very literal, yeah, yes, yes. Very literal. Yes. Do you have a scar that tells a story? Uh, yeah, I've, I've accumulated a few now <laughs> from various stupid activities. But I still have one that's um, on my chest, which happened when I was kind of uh, trying to jump over a fence. And then uh, it's one of these, you know, steel spiked fences, and so yeah, I kind of landed on top of it, which <laughs> wasn't wasn't the nicest thing to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sounds dangerous, but uh. Yeah, stupid teenager. Yeah. yeah. Hope you're okay. Yeah, <laughs> I survived. <laughs> um. Yeah. Then I wanted to ask you, who's your biggest inspiration and why? Uh. Yeah. So I've always been quite a fan of this um, guy, Paul Nurse. And he didn't get particularly good grades at school or university. In fact, I think he struggles quite a bit, uh, so I can relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he ended up winning a Nobel Prize, and he works with or worked with yeast. Um, and so, you know, I've always kind of seen him as a bit of a role model. <laughs> you know, he he showed people that you don't need to do well academically. I mean, you know. You don't necessarily have to fit into the boxes of traditional academia. I'm not saying that I will turn out anything like him, but, you know, he's a good person to kind of uh, look up to. And, I mean, he seems really nice as well. And I kind of like the fact that back in the day, um, he used to go to parties and people who didn't know who he was would sometimes come up to him and ask him if he was a Robin Williams impersonator that was uh, hired for the event, which I think is quite funny. Yeah, I googled him, and and some in some of the pictures he actually looks a bit like Robin Williams. Yeah, I think you know some of the older pictures. Yeah, he really starts <laughs> to look like. Because today he is his white, uh, his hair is white, and yeah. uh, so m- maybe not now, but but earlier on, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that must have been quite interesting going to parties <laughs> as a Nobel Prize. Uh, yeah, it must have been. I don't know if he found it funny or annoying. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's hard to know. Yeah. So um, we're getting to the end of this uh, interview, and um, Matthew, could you summarize a little bit how what did you learn about your yourself today, <laughs> if um, anything? <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I guess I learned that maybe I need to change the headlights in my car. Exactly, that's a good yes, thing to learn. Yes, that's <laughs> a good thing. <laughs> um, and who would you like to pass the baton to? Uh, yeah, I think I'd like to pass it to Maya. Um, uh, Maya Renick, sorry. Maya Renick, <laughs> yeah. And uh, and why would you... Uh, well, do she's, you know, doing a lot of stuff in the BII. Yeah. I'm in the first round since I opened. So mm-hmm. I think it would be really interesting for people to hear a little bit about what she's, uh, what she's experienced there. Yeah, definitely. That would be interesting. Uh, and what question would you like to ask Maya? Is there anything in particular? Um, I guess I'd like to ask her if she thinks that the BII is uh, capable of really... Um, revolutionizing the the startup landscape in Denmark. Yes, we'll notice that and uh, send the question on to Maya. So um, thank you very much, Matthew. And uh, this was it for today. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, thanks again to Matthew for talking to me and participating. And thank you for listening. (laughs) 